Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. Hub24 is on a mission to empower advisors to deliver better financial futures for their clients. They're dedicated to customer service excellence and delivering innovative product solutions that create value for advisors and their clients. These are just some of the reasons why advisors rate them number one for overall satisfaction and why their managed portfolio solution has been rated best in market five years running. Hub24 believes nothing happens in isolation. So they're working together with advisors, licensees, and industry leaders to leverage their data and technology expertise to help solve key challenges in the delivery of financial advice so more Australians can access cost-effective advice. Welcome back to the XY Advisor Podcast. I'm Fraser Jack, and today I'm talking to Rob Skinner. Welcome, Rob. Good morning, Fraser. How are you? Very, very well. Now, we've known each other for a number of years now, but uh, before we get into the the history and the back end of it, uh, let's talk about, uh, just, just give us a quick overview of you and what you're doing at the moment. Okay, cool. Um, well, currently, I am the Head of Practice Engagement at um, Fortnum and Fortnum Private Wealth, which I've been there for about two years, um, is my current role. So, we've got about 90-odd uh, practices, 230 advisors, I guess a mid, mid or large licensee um, group. Before that, uh, I was thinking, knowing this was coming up, I, I went back in history and kind of looked at where I've been in the industry. It's a little bit scary, but anyway, I think it's 26 years ago I started as a paraplanner. So um, that was where I kind of uh, kicked off. So the, the road to where was that, was that back in the day when paraplanning was a, was a brand new profession, right? Oh, I got my business card and it had a financial paraplanner on it and I had to t- educate everybody what that did and I, I likened it to, you know, paralegal, that, I, that I'm the person that sits next to the planner. So, yeah, all my mates, even people in the industry, I think back back then, you know, were getting, I guess, used to the concept of what a paraplanner actually is. So, um, and I, I was fortunate then. I, I did three different paraplanning roles and I was, um, yeah, lucky enough to be part of some good firms. So, so I learned some really good stuff very very early on um, in my career, you know, kind of kind of power planning, which was good, and then and then I um, I got stolen by a guy, but I'm actually actually Paul Barrett um, out to an organisation called Conley Temple. I don't know, or pro- probably the people listening to this who have got a bit of <laughs> bit of experience in the industry would would recognise that name. Um, they got bought by Royal and Sun Alliance, so I went to the kind of BDM land um, and then into a national sales role uh, quite a while ago. But that, but that was good taking what I learned from inside a practice to then getting out and seeing other other practices. This, this feels like to me it's a pendulum swinging, right? You're you're into the power planning, into into the what well, I call the nerd side of it all. You know, like you're getting into the numbers. Then you're uh, then the pendulum swings the other way, and all of a sudden you're you know marketing and sales. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that, and I think that's probably more where I naturally sat, Fraser. So once, but, but I like the intellect side of it. So I need to have the knowledge to then be able to sell. So, um, you know, I was with a national sales for a, for a company called Hartley Point or Hartley's, um, taking kind of a broking business traditionally into doing financial planning, um, which is, I don't think has ever worked in Australia. <laughs> but anyway, we gave it a crack. Um, but I saw some of the clients that were getting advice in there and, some of the outcomes weren't terrific and uh, uh, so I then looked at, well, maybe I can do this myself. So, um, after that national role, I'm based in Newcastle and I thought I'll have a crack and be a planner. And uh, so, started with no clients, uh, no centres of influence. Because I had a national role, I wasn't even really embedded in my town. Um, so, I literally opened the door, got a brand and <laughs> waited for the phone to ring. Um, someone said to me, you know, you're not going to get paid for six months. And I said, rubbish, I know how this works. I've done my spreadsheet. I don't know what's going to happen, um, but I think that was spot on. Yeah, it's the uh, I, I, I related back to the first year apprentice number. You know, you start out the door, open the door, first year apprentice, you've got no clients, and uh, you get paid about the same wage as a first year apprentice, and then yeah. eventually it uh, it tends to double each year after that. I think until you're yeah. actually getting getting some money. No, absolutely. I think it was about the same time I started, so I think we were sort of on the same same wavelength. The, the computers were a new thing. Yep. You know, you had to type everything up uh, on a work doc. There was no spell check. <laughs> it was, yep. uh, and it was hit the phones, you know, get on the phones and call people. Yeah, absolutely. And you have a few of those moments or those people that come into your life or come back into your life that then can be quite instrumental in helping your business. So, again, I was very lucky with some of the the clients I had. I think I literally ran into a, uh, a mate's dad at the post office. He said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm a planner now. And he said, I think I need one of those. <laughs> and then the rest is history. And he became my biggest referral source, you know, got me into the Newcastle club, got me, you know, just introduced me around. We'd catch up every quarter and strategize about how he could introduce me to certain people you know that he knows so so you know you remember those things they're kind of pivotal pivotal times so so through that you know building the business you know just just me kind of day one and then um i started lecturing financial planning at the grad school in newcastle which was fascinating i had to build the whole curriculum um and build the test so year one was intense you know you get paid seven grand um it's not uh, you don't do it for the money. So, you know, but what was really good about that was was seeing kind of middle management and all that kind of stuff um, really want to learn about money. You know, we're, we're going through testamentary trusts and franking credits and mortgage offset accounts and the questions that came in, they basically after, you know, 13 weeks had to uh, put together a mini financial plan um, and they were engaged. So, I did that for a couple of years and that kind of led to a company called Energy um, with a mate of mine who, a guy by the name of Matt Linnett, who very much worked in the kind of behavioral space um, and we kind of came together to say, let's build something that can educate Australia. That was, let, let's give um, Australians a safe place to learn more about money. That's what we started with. And back then, there was no Money Smart. There was Fido. Um, Fido was fairly ordinary as far as content goes. And we thought, you know, um, if people could get the behavioral side of money and the technical side of money and get their handle on both of those, that's a pretty powerful proposition. So, um, so we thought, you know, people would turn up and pay for that in truckloads, but uh, that didn't 
uh, quite happen that way. And we joked before hopping on here, you know, um, energy was probably a fintech before fintechs were around. You know, that was back, that was 2006. So that was like, you know, 15 years ago. Um, and what we started with and what we ended up with, you know, we were working with a website developer. So, so you know, putting websites together and we would just come back going, can you build a module for us? Um, and then, so they go and explore that and go, oh, we think we can do it like this. And, you know, we lost a bit of money. We built um, our modules in Flash. And for those that you remember pre-Apple, you know, Flash was a good thing. When Apple came along, Flash wasn't a good thing. So, we threw those out and kind of started again. but And that business model changed as well. So having a, a new product, um, you know, how do you price something like that? And we needed, um, I don't really like the word, but we needed distribution. So we needed to work out who's going to pay for this and how would it work. So we had kind of four different areas, um, but we ended up concentrating back on financial planning practices. And we had a couple of industry super funds um, as clients as well. So... So that was whilst I was still running my planning business, we were riding on weekends, kind of, you know, in fits and starts. And then um, it got to a stage where the Knowledge Center, which was kind of the product of energy, started getting a little bit of interest. And there was going to eventually be a conflict of interest because whilst I was running my planning practice, I don't know how many planners would have been comfortable to upload their client lists on a product that I'm also kind of running. So the other thing, both of those businesses were quite busy. So the, the you know, chances of running two was going to be fairly, fairly slim. So... Um, so I decided to sell the business, much to the surprise of my state manager. Uh, back then, I was licensed through Securitor um, because, funnily enough, the business was in its prime; like it was, it was flying, it, it was growing quickly. Um, I, I don't know whether I mentioned to you, you know, it was a flat fee business. When, when I started my planning business, I started with what I knew, and I did one percent of funds under management, and that's how I rock and rolled, and then. Um, probably 18 months into that, I found that that model um, didn't work for me. I had someone that was saving a million bucks a year and I had someone that that was earning a lot of – well, that particular client, you know, had four mil to invest and I had another client that was earning good money but had 50 grand to invest. Um, and it didn't seem right that they had such a difference in fee or, or if you like, the, the guy that was earning a lot of money that didn't have a lot, he couldn't afford advice. And uh, he's in the industry uh, today and has admitted publicly to being a client of mine. But he, he said to me, Rob, you need to find a way that I can become a client because I, I need you and your current fee structure to pay you 500 bucks a year is not, not going to work. Um, so we took a couple of days out of the business with a mentor of mine and, and ripped the business apart. And, um, you know, we weren't the first with flat fees, but but we were certainly um, early and then got rid of all commissions. And I know I had a bit of a fight with my dealer group getting out of, you know, what was the volume bonuses or under a different name. So, that was a little bit difficult, but um, but it was good. And we had clients referring clients based on fees. I remember um, sitting down with one client and I said, we'll go through, you know, now we'll go through fees after everything else, you know, so you can add value. Now we'll go through fees. He goes, I know what your fees are. I'm like, how do you know that? He goes, oh. Mark told me. I said, oh, what did he say? He goes, go to Rob. He'll look after all your financial shit for four grand a year. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So, um, so that was a bit of that from a marketing point of view, from a marketing message point of view, nice great. and simple. So, yeah. you know, 
and, and easy for one client to tell another potential client. Yeah, and, and I think for different people, certainly that, I mean, it would be a different fee point now, you know, that was, that was you know, 15 years ago. 2003, 2004, wasn't it? Was yeah, it? yeah, that's near, nearly 20 years ago, yeah, wow. Yeah. When you say it like that, Fraser, it makes me feel Sorry. old. Sorry to make you feel old. Um, but, but yeah, and it was different. And I had, I mean, half of my clients would have been out of the industry, so within the industry, and, and they liked that fee model too. And I remember doing, uh, you know, after work, like for them, doing a session in Sydney to, you know, a whole lot of PDMs, BDMs and all that kind of stuff. And they just liked the cleanliness of the body. I mean, of that model. I mean, that's kind of fairly much probably mainstream um, these days. But, you know, and I sold my practice in March uh, 2009, which was the the low in the in the market, and I know a lot of people said, "Wow, you know, that's a terrible time to sell." But but it was a flat fee, so it didn't didn't really matter. But I made I made sure I made the new advisor look good because um you know my clients had two years of bad performance, and then I sold <laughs> the low, so uh, I, I did them did them a big favor. But but that was actually a horrible experience, Fraser. Like I, I had to um you took responsibility for the GFC, did you? For, from I your clients' that, point that of view, that was me. I picked. I wow. picked Hello. I thought if I yeah. get out, this could turn around for everybody. Um, but it wasn't very nice because I had I had about seventy clients, and um, you know I had to resign seventy times, and I actually found that quite difficult um, because a lot of the proposition to those people is I'm young, I'm going to be here forever, you know, choose me as your planner, and then you know that that didn't work out. Um, but anyway, that that's so so I, I struggled with having that person or that business to consumer. Take me, take me through that conversation. What did you say to them? Um, so I went in search of um, obviously a planner to buy my practice. I ended up um, having two planners. I, I had a Sydney base and a Newcastle base. So I found dif- two different planners. So it, it was an easy conversation, but but people are emotional around their money. So so the the basically the conversation was. Um, you know, I've been building something on the side to educate Australians around money, and that's something that's a passion of mine. And I've come a fork in the road that I can't do too. So I can either build my business or I can go and educate a wider community of people. Um, so they knew that the intent was really good. Um, but then I sat down and said, "I've I've found your planner." Like I probably interviewed fifteen planners. I probably sat down and and um, I needed to make sure that the the model was going to work and that the clients were going to be looked after. So that that wasn't easy, um, but ended up finding a, a good home for both those client bases. So um, yeah, so the conversation was, you know, some some most of the clients were fine. Some of them were angry. Some of them, you know, especially the ones that have been on for a year. You know, and and they know their inverted commas being sold. Um, so you know that can be a little bit awkward. Yeah, it's always it's always an interesting way people. You know, because it's very easy to say you can sell a portion of your client base or sell down, but there is those uh, uh, difficult conversations to be had in a lot of cases where you are actually, like you said, breaking up with uh, breaking up or resigning uh, from with people. So yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, just just while we're while we talk about that financial planning business, and obviously with uh, with Energy, you've come up with some unusual names for the businesses you've started. Where, where did they all come from? So, I mean, Amicus was uh, Amicus was the financial planning uh, business, and that 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 shows you how far through the Latin dictionary I got. I was still at the I was still at the ace. So, <laughs> Amicus stands for well, an Amicus is a is a friendly legal person. So so someone that aids you. So so that's where Amicus came from. 
Um, energy is a different one, and and in hindsight, that was hard for some people to pronounce. We had energy and and people that would just st- stumble on the phone. Um, so where that came from was after four bottles of red wine uh, with Matt. So you know we looked at what I was saying to you before around the behavioural and the technical. So we looked at synergy and energy and, and all this kind of stuff. And then uh, I've still got the pieces of paper, mate. We, we had, you know, four of us, our partners as well, um, writing down, you, you know, and um, even when you look at those, the different personalities, I mean, we're probably not going to go down this track um, today, but, you know, we built this whole thing called money personality, which is, you know, around the kind of deep values that we don't necessarily even know ourselves. So, adapting like a Mongoose brig to, to money. So, it's even funny looking at those pieces of paper now and the different way that the four of us kind of interacted. But um, And we thought the inner, like we're helping the inner if the inner can be at peace. And then, you know, Matt wrote, I think Skinner and Linnet, his name's Linnet, which sound like very different surnames, but they both got inner in them, I-N-N-E-R. And then we thought we need this G or this energy or the synergy. So, that that's kind of where it came from. We we wanted, you know, we were probably a bit, bit naive, but we wanted um, it to be the Google of money, that if you want to know something of money, you just energy it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit hard to say, but um, anyway, that that yeah di- didn't eventuate. I'm I'm always interested to see where names come from because um, you, you're right. You know, you 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 go through these deep brainstorming sessions and you come up with all these different reasons why, and you look into it, and then a client will come along and the end user will be like, "What? I don't know what that means." Just yeah. completely miss they miss the point, and you're like, "Ah, oh, but there's really deep, meaningful information inside of all of that," and you're like, "They're like, yeah, but I just didn't see it." So. Yeah. Yeah, it's and I mean, you know, it depends how much alcohol is consumed as well. Or yeah, I mean, in the in the beginning, you know, you take it so seriously. But um, yep. you know, I saw you would have seen on LinkedIn someone having a bit of fun with names. Um, yes, getting their own yeah. Whistle, so. yeah, you know what? You know, people just look at stuff and they're just a name after all. And uh, yep. anything can be explained if you go deep into it. If you want to get really deep, but I think uh, sometimes just the simple, easy. Names are easy to share and easy to pronounce yeah. and easy to spell because that's the other thing too. You know, when people get all creative with the spelling of the names and and then people are trying to type it into a Google search engine and can't find it. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so tell tell us the obviously uh, energy uh, had an evolution as well. Yeah, so so with um so we kept building that. Oh, it sold the planning firm and then uh, again with the Excel spreadsheet, it took longer to get it out there and we were still finding our market. So so I think I worked at that for maybe two years. Still, with no, you know, no income out. Um, I think we had enough people kind of using it that it was that it was paying its own way. But certainly, I wasn't getting, um, you know, any income from that. And funny how you know life life rolls. So I ended up. I was a member of the Newcastle Club up here, and I just thought, oh, let's just be a bit tight with expenses. So cut a long story short, resigned from there. Good mate of mine who was a client of mine, uh, was a coal mine developer, kind of reached out because he saw I had resigned. He was on one of the committees and said, what are you doing? I said, oh, things are tight. And, um, you know, we're getting to the fork in the road with energy around, um, you know, I personally had a goal that if I go beyond this time, I need to go and find a job. Or if I go beyond this amount of money, I need to go and find a job. So I'd I'd pass both of those. So I was entertaining, you know, what does contract work look like? And, you know, this ex kind of client of mine said, well, can you give me a couple of days a week? And I said, yeah, sure. And and it was um, it was fascinating. So that ended up 
um, that's not on my LinkedIn profile. I did actually for a time have two LinkedIn profiles. Um, that business was fascinating. Um, it, it ended up taking over my life. It helped Energy stay alive. Um, Energy was probably a day a week for me at that stage. I was running a, a phosphate business out of Tahiti. I was running a geothermal project that had uh, projects in Newcastle and France and was doing kind of a biomass to energy project in Western New South Wales as well. So it literally ended up having a business for every day of the week. Um, but that was good. And I, I ended up you know, energy, I didn't get neglected. Matt and I were still dabbling. We had a great staff member in there running that. Um, and, uh, you know, I was going to be this uh, mining mogul and, uh, you know, met a couple of billionaires. It's just a very different world. But um, what was interesting, though, is the focus on the commercial model with, with um, mining projects, with, um, you know, energy projects. It's all about the commercial model. Um, so it, it ended up, I, um, I was going to, I sold my house. I was going to move to Tahiti, book the kids into school, uh, looking at rentals over there. And then one of my, my youngest daughter had a, a, a um, issue, me- medical issue. Um, and the doctor basically said, look, you're not, you're not going to go and live in Tahiti because, uh, you know, medical evac is too far. Um, it's a five, five hour, you know, plane ride to New Zealand. So, so that all went. I resigned out of there and I came back into energy and Matt and I were 50-50 then. And I said, mate, I'm going to give this a good crack. Um, and back then, oh, I assume, when was that? That would have been about 2014, 2013, 2014. Um, you know, Facebook, Twitter, the need for content just just started coming. Um, so I came back to Matt. So mate, we need to give this a, a shove. Um, I'm happy to do it, but we're not going to do it 50-50. So I ended up buying the majority of of his stake out, and we were a real beneficiary of of that need for content because we were already there. We'd been building for years um, and we had that, you know, one thing that set us apart was that kind of um, integrated content hub. So the articles and the modules and the calculators and the videos, it was just something that a planner could turn up and, and brand and run with. So, um, so we started getting really busy. I think our biggest month, you know, we had 16 practices come on. So it was just a really good scalable business. Um, it was still lean. Um, for me, I looked at what's next. I was always kind of like, right, this is humming now. This is good. What's next? And I thought we could either take this into another industry or we could go to another country. Um, I decided to go that we go to another country. Um, look at the UK and uh, some of our concepts would would be able to um, uh, fly with that and then some we'd need to obviously rewrite. We, we're already talking with Explain. I, I think one of the guys, one of the product managers saw uh, me present at one of the first uh, Baz Gardner Advisor Edge conferences. Um, I think that's where I met Michael back as well and um, and we got kind of talking after that. So we were, we were talking for Iris for a little while around giving them a content feed uh, and I remember one day then I said to him, look, I'm looking at going to the UK. You guys just bought a big business over there. Um, you've got the scope, would you be interested in chucking half a million in and, and getting me over there? I'll give you a share. I basically come back saying, well, the only way you're going to get over there is if we own you. And I, and I, la- I laughed and then, um, and then you know, some numbers started going up on a whiteboard. And I went, oh, you know, that's interesting. And then the rest is history. We were uh, fully acquired by Iris in 2015, um, which was an experience 
uh, in, in itself. So I think, again, I was probably naive then thinking, uh, you know, a small business going into a big $2 billion financial services tech company, this is going to be brilliant. Imagine what the Knowledge Centre is going to become. Um, but you know, within that, you look. The Knowledge Centre is a is a small operation, and uh, you know what what Iris has under that company is massive. So, so we weren't necessarily the priority within that group. So, I ended up kind of, in a way, still just running that business um, under Iris, and then you know was under a, a four year kind of earnout contract with them, and then that was then the connected to Fortnum. So after. You know, looking or coming to the end with Iris was kind of looking around at, um, you know, what what I would do next. Um, I had a few different opportunities, but I think for me, um, Fortnum, I, I knew Neil, I knew um, his ability. I think I underestimated when I ca- don't tell him this. I hope this is not going to be broadcast anywhere. Fraser, he listens I, to this. He listens to this, so yeah, he'll he'll hear it. Um, so, I, well, I better say something good then. Um, so, I, I think I underestimated where he was at. And for those of you that don't know Neil, I mean, he ran he ran uh, wealth over at CBA, then at ANZ, and then has come out to Fortnum. So, um, I think kind of seeing him operated uh, operating, I underestimated where he was at. I, I knew the Neil Young get back from kind of Securator days, and you know, it's an entrepreneurial business. So, so it it suits me. It's not. Um, you know, it's it's ownership kind of aligns with the practices, practices own it. There's not one big owner. Um, there's no kind of product involved. So, it suited me if you go right back to, you know, in the flat fee business, um, it, it worked well. So, it was a bit of a standout um, for me. So, so then being able to shape what we do, we, we didn't want to have the traditional PDM um, type offer because, um, you know, a lot of that those roles were subsidised from product. Like if you maybe look at the AMPs of the world or the Securitors or the Magnitudes or the FinWizers that, you know, they, they get the money out of product and it props up the, the licensee mm. offer. Um, we don't have the luxury of being able to do that at Fordham. So, yeah. you know, we're looking at, well, how do we do things a little bit differently um, within there to still get some really good outcomes for the practices? Yeah. Now, just on that, just on that, obviously, and going back a little bit to um, your mining, your mining heyday, mm. um, and some of the commercial models. I think it's probably very simple to see a business in, say, mining, where it's just uh, money in, money out, minerals. You know, there's no humans involved as as far no. as that's concerned. It's it's pretty much just you know the, what's the transaction, what's the cost, what's the what, what are we going to get out of it? Is it there's like the simplicity that then you can overlay on any business because that's the that, that's pure business, right? Just money in, yeah. money out. Uh, I think so. <laughs> Some people might disagree with me. That that that's uh, you can put that alongside of the care for clients. Um, I think it's it can be really quite easy to design the business. And, and I think my view is. I'm surprised that still some people, I guess, practices still looking at, um, you know, planning or fees or what the what the client value service proposition is. And I kind of think, wow, like, you know, we were grappling with that 20 years ago, like maybe beyond that. Like, I think it was still being grappled, you know, with before that. So, I think, and I mean, my mentor in my business, when we looked at changing my business to flat fees, it was very simple. Like, we literally looked at, well, where do we want to be? Like, like, and then let's work backwards from there. So we literally, in a nutshell, looked at what wage do you want to earn, Rob? Okay, 150 grand, right? Oh, cool. Um, what are the expenses of the business for the business that you want to build? So what staffs in there? What's rent? You know, you get that number. And what's our profit margin? What's 35%? Okay, so that's we've got our revenue now. 
So that's easy. We've got the revenue that we need. What's your service? So my service was this, and I worked out what's your capacity around that. I could look after 120 clients. I wanted to work, you know, 34 hours a week or something. I could look after 120 clients. So then I just had to, you know, divide that revenue figure by 120. That's what everyone pays. I think you can do a similar thing. That was for a small business, but I think you can do a similar thing for a larger business. The costs are different, um, but you know, you still get the head, the headline number and the and the bottom number and what the service is in between. Where you can get cheeky with that, you know, I told my clients what number they were. Um, so that's how I explained the fee concept. My number three client at his review would always say, now, remember, we were number three. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. You can remember that. So I would tell them, I can only have 120 clients. You're number 73. Once I get to 120, I'm, I'm closing the doors. But I'd love your help to find really cool people that can be part of that 120. Um, and that's where I still see practices struggling with referrals as well. Um, you know, it's like they're going to get a punch in the mouth if they ask. And it's like, no, they don't. And if you can give them a compliment in doing it and saying, Fraser, I love working with people like you. It's it's great. Um, one thing I learned from another business, it wasn't me, but I implemented it work well, that, that using psychology, I'd say, Fraser, I, I, I'd love you to refer to the business, but I can only take two clients from you a year. I can't take any more. I will blow up. So, it's only two. And um, that got instilled in my client base because we know hundreds of people. So, if I said to you, Fraser, I'm open for referrals. That, it's almost too hard. Some, some might gravitate towards that, um, but I would educate my clients on the type of referral. It was on my agenda, type of referral and how to refer. Um, so, if I said you've got two, I'd give my clients movie tickets when they referred. I'd have the cheeky client ring up going, uh, Rob, uh, there's a new movie coming out. I've already referred you to, but I've found another one. Is it okay that I send them through? And I'm going, Jeff, because it's you, sure, you know, I'll look after them. So, so it was a bit of fun. Like it wasn't wasn't too serious. Yeah, it's it's funny, it's really interesting, isn't it? The, uh, the the human psychology when you when you put some parameters around it. Yeah, I mean, I used to tell clients we because we'd obviously track referrals and referrals is on the agenda. So, so if a client didn't refer. I, over the 12 months, I'd say, hey, referrals, we talked about, you know, who we're after, how to refer. We noticed you haven't referred. Just want to check in that you're happy. Like, are you okay? Like, is there, and, and sometimes I don't want to make them feel guilty, but they're like, oh, shit, okay, we didn't refer. Um, so, you know, they go out of the office, but it was a good check-in to go, you know, we haven't seen anyone from you. Are, are you okay? Are you enjoying, you know, what we're doing? And and we would ask for referrals. I know um, I was talking to one of my practices recently who wants clients to be on three years before they like ask for referral. And I'm like, surely you've got to do that as soon as you've implemented the plan because they've just had a life-changing experience. They're going, I'm organized, I'm, you know, I'm saving money, I'm investing properly. Like that's that's the time that they're going to go and tell, you know, tell their mates, I think. It's definitely the time. It's the time that uh, a lot of other businesses work on that same concept too when somebody's purchased something or they've spent a lot of money. They want to tell everybody, they want to justify mm. their purchase and it's a good opportunity yeah. for them to, to talk about you. I really love the idea of um, the number two, you know, your number three client or number 73 client, whatever it might be. I think um, it's sort of like uh, what the, the Australian cricket team and stuff does too, doesn't it? Like they're, they're, they're number such and such of the uh, of the te- of the, uh, of the cricket team. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, agree. Um, giving people anything like that. I remember um, my old um, RACQ card, I'm showing, you know, my uh, state here, um, would say members since on it. 
as well, you know, like it was, it'd yeah. been like members since this time. And you're like, I, I can't let that go now. I've got to keep going because I've been a member since for this long. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, it's funny where the, the other thing that often gets said, you know, you don't want people to become numbers, but I, but I would literally give them a number. I, I wouldn't then ring up and say, oh, hello, client 73. How, how are you? But, but, um, um, but it was good. They they bought into that. Like I think clients care. You know, I I play golf every Wednesday. There was something I put in before I got my first client, and I'd explain that to clients, and they care about your financial well being. Like so, they they want you to have a life. Um, so you know that that's an important thing, and you know, be be human. I think back to um, one thing I was going to say. Um, well, around pricing, and, and I still see even within um, our practices, lots of challenges around pricing that seem to be a constant change of repricing as as legislation changes. And, and it's, you know, I look back to when I was a planner and, you know, what, what a planner has to do now is just intense. And a lot of it, it, you know, the client doesn't want, it doesn't add value, um, but they still need to do it and, and kind of as, as they have to do more, they need to reprice. But it's interesting with the value of advice, we've got some practices, you know, when you're looking at your business and you might say, oh, well, I'm going to drop the bottom 20% of my business so that I can then focus on, you know, building up um, the the target market or the, the top 20. We're finding a lot of practice that, that are doing that. And um, they might say, oh, look, you're paying 1500 bucks a year. Our minimum is three. Sorry, you know, we can't look after you anymore. And a lot of these clients, and I say a lot, yeah, you know, 80% of them are saying, no, we want to stay. We're happy to pay. And so it stuffs their, their model out, their transition to where they want to get to because they thought all these people would fall off and they'd be able to, you know, grow the other end. So it gives them another challenge. But I think, you know, what that demonstrates is that people that have been able to partake in financial planning and, and seeing that, wow, I've mapped out where I want to be and someone's looking after where I'm up to and they're looking at legislation, they're looking at investment markets and what's changing, they're checking in with me on my state planning, um, they don't want to then lose that. So, so they're used to it, to, to then have to look after that. And that's why I used to say with my fees, if you want to lose, you know, stop paying me fees, you can have your file back. You can have your super, you can have your investment, you can look after your estate plan, you can look after all your insurances, you can make sure that you're on track with your financial. And they're like, oh, shit, oh, I, don't want, I don't want to have to do all of that. Um, but it's the people, I guess, that haven't experienced financial planning, um, you know, that look at maybe a fee and go, oh, I don't know, they don't want to pay that. But they, they haven't had the experience. It's probably easier too when you are thinking about, you know, uh, repricing or putting your fees up to be able to say to your existing clients, look, this is our new fee structure because uh, they're already uh, they're already there. It's easier probably mm-hmm. winning their hearts and minds and winning the hearts and minds of new people. Yeah, agree. Thoroughly agree. But but if, but if you're clear, and 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 that's where I think you know sometimes um, you know even looking at risk at the moment and the problem with you know some of our practices that might. Um, uh, be very reliant on revenue from risk. I think there's the challenge too around the value, even in our, our own mindset. Um, because it's funny, even some of our practice putting up fees, the clients are fine. They're like, yeah, that that's fine. But it's more in our own minds. And I think when you look at you know doing insurance, I was talking to one of our advisors the other day, and it's like, you know, personal insurance is is not like getting a house and contents policy online or a car insurance policy. And I, and I think, you know, being able to frame up that to get that right insurance, I, I need to look at, 
everything about where you are, like where, where you're going to go, all your you know financials, your salaries, your health, your family, your estate planning. I'm going to take all of that and then kind of work out the strategy of what would be optimal and look at it like I'm going to compare a couple of strategies. Then once I've done that, I'm going to go out to the market and find the products that I think are going to be really suitable for that strategy. And I'm going to charge you five grand. Like, like this is not. If you want to go online and buy car insurance, go for it. But, but this is not something to muck around with. Because if you die, or if you have a traumatic event, or you can't work anymore, that's pretty serious. So, um, you know, and I, and I think, I think when you put it like that, you're like, okay, yeah, well, there's value in there. But, but maybe we don't you know, we don't articulate it well enough or don't believe in the value enough that we that we transfer to clients. It's it's a big chore for a lot of people to think about or read or understand their policy documents, isn't it, when it comes to mm. any type of insurance? And, and even when I talk to planners about other types of insurance, you know, people don't necessarily read their other types of insurance, PDSs or, or um, policies. It's just they know the insurance ones, the risk ones, because they're trying to, to uh, talk to clients about them, but it affects the, their clients, so they read it. But, uh, the, you know, we struggle to read our own, so it's, it's always yeah. great to have somebody in your corner doing that. I agree. Now, tell me a bit more about uh, the, your practice engagement uh, mm-hmm. role there. How, how does that work? Are you sort of um, are you a, sort of working with practices to grow themselves, or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, and I think I alluded to you know we're trying to do things a little bit differently and and get smart with how we still and that's evolving and that's part of. Uh, what I like at Fortnum, as far as it's a bit of a, a bit of a blank page, as far as how how we can how we can help. Um, one thing that's that's uh, gone really well and came about. We, we we had a couple of what we call pods or pod groups, uh, peer groups that that met. We had two kind of that we were trialing before COVID hit, um, and they would meet six monthly, and it would essentially be a whole day. But um, you know, when COVID hit, obviously obviously things changed around a little bit. So and community was a big thing, probably in most licensees. That's where I'm not going to. You know, we we've got a community, we've got a culture. Um, so has every other licensee, I would think. Um, the the culture and the community inside of Fortnum uh, suits me, and so a lot of practices really want to help each other. We're very fortunate that we've got. Um, on average, um, you know, good-sized practices, successful practices, and and they're open to share. So um, when COVID hit and we were looking at pod groups, what it enabled me to do was get rid of geographical boundaries and to link like-minded practices. So if I've got practices that have got JVs with accountants, I can get six of those together because they're often, you know, um, uh, tackling the same issues. Or if I've got businesses that are younger and growing rapidly, you know, I can put them together. If I've got businesses that have got four planners in there, um, you know, bigger corporates, you know, they might tackle things differently as well. So we've kind of brought, and I didn't get that perfect when we rolled out, I've actually had my first uh, pod uh, reshuffle um, because, and you would know that there's different there's different business models in this industry, and and you can have practices that have seventy clients and go deep, and they might charge fifteen to twenty grand a client, and they go deep. They might meet them quarterly. They love the investment side. Um, that was never me personally. Um, I admire those businesses, and um, you know they they go they go hard on that kind of deep. Um, a client connection, and then you've got the other businesses, which was my old business that you you know you do an investment review halfway through the year and you do an annual review, and and you have more volume of clients and a, and a lower price point. So we've got um, both of those 
um, kinds of firms. And it was funny, I, I mixed up one of my pots where, where I had, it was, you know, I had a guy that was on average charging three grand a year and one planner sitting there going, oh, I charge... 20 grand a year and this he was regional and he's gone oh give me a bit of that like how do, how do I do that but it's a totally different business so but these pod groups um, we kicked them off we've got 15 of them um, you know with five to six planners each in them and um, it, it's phenomenal Fraser and the you know I had one planner that's been a planner for 20 years and uh, his first pod and he rang and he said Rob um that's been the best two hours I've spent in my entire career. And I'm like, wow, that is terrific. I'm a successful guy, run, runs a very good big business. So these pods then, I said, you know, let's meet quarterly. Half of them said, no, nah, we want to meet more regularly. We want to get on with it. I've got one, they call themselves a super pod. One, one pod meets monthly. And what, what a lot of them do is we tackle a concept. So um, we might do client experience. So we might, sorry, if I go back a sec, we might do upfront client experience. So take me through when the phone rings and a client says, hello, I'd like to make an appointment, take me right through to implementation. So we'd go practice by practice around there as much as I've got, they're they're sharing their um, processes, their documents, you know, they're emailing them after a pod going, here you go, here's everything I've discussed. Um, It's just so open because there's no, there's no, you know, threat, if you like, um, for each other. Um, Or we'll go through what does the review process look like? Um, or we'll talk about marketing or we'll talk about technology. Um, we can bring, you know, gurus within the Fortnum team. So I had um, Neil actually turned up to a couple, which was really good. Um, you know, we'll have a head of advice pop in for the first 15 minutes and just check that everyone's got their head around, you know, enhanced FDS and OSAs or whatever. So it's it's brilliant. And they, and they look forward to that, you know, two hours with their peers. Stuff happens, you know, outside of that as well, which is fine. Um, some pods are just happy. They just want to talk. They just want to turn up. Um, we still fill in two hours with a general kind of around the grounds and seeing, you know, what what's important uh, or what's going on for people, good or bad. But that's been a, ter- a terrific thing. And for Fordham, um, it's a great way for me to see six practices, you know, all in one go. So where I can't obviously travel, um, you know, there's the one-on-one experience as well, but the pods is, is really good. They're getting value off each other. And, and at some stage, I might mix them up again, um, you you know, maybe in a couple of years, once they've exhausted, you know, sucked everything out of their existing pod, we might mix it up again and um, and go again with, you know, different people. We've still got practices joining. So, you know, we're put, putting together new pods now once we get to, you know, five or six uh, practice principles we're doing it at the moment. I'd love to, although we need the resource to do it, I'd love to do one for, you know, a couple for practice managers, for power planners, um, you know, would be good as well to kind of roll roll that out. But um, that that's one positive, I guess, through COVID that we've been able to do that and advisors are not having to travel or, you know, come together and we can kind of mix and match the right kind of people. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I, it fascinates me, the idea of community and how this all works and, you know, the size of the community, you know, everybody at, at, a, at a pod level of everybody gets a say everybody has a decent amount of time everybody gets to know each other on a personal level um and you know they're not just you know their knowledge of their their business but their you know what they're what they're like as a person their attributes their language all those types of things so i think it's i think it's incredible and then when you do mix those pods up they get like you said they get get something new out of them and but the the friendships and the pod doesn't stop when you mix them up um Mm -hmm. you know if somebody's still got an idea or they can jump on the phone and they've developed some good 
got great relationships with their existing pod, so they can still utilize that when they need to. Yeah, agree. And I, I think, you know, the other thing is like Fortnum, Fortnum's grown fairly rapidly over the last, I guess, two years now. So, um, you know, a couple of years ago, they would have been 95 advisors. They're now kind of 230. So a lot of these pods, they, they don't know each other. They, they've never they've never met and that that's where the you know one day we, we're meant to have our conference next month um, that'll turn into a hybrid conference I think Queensland's going to be the only state that's going to get a little bit of face-to-face and maybe WA but um, you know yeah these people haven't met they're, they're actually uh, you know yearning to meet and go look it's just not the same you know virtually but at some stage it'll be good to kind of connect them all up and let them shake hands and have a drink at some stage so. yeah, exactly now conferences as you mentioned in the part in the last couple of years have had to change a lot and mm. uh, they're the, the conferences that are still continuing this year are coming out in that hybrid state talk to me about uh, how you see that developing over the next couple of years you reckon we'll go straight back to the uh, in-person conference or will it still go the hybrid I don't know. I actually think we, ours was going to be a face-to-face conference this year uh, in October, so next next month. Um, we did a ring around, you know, we put our conference out, oh, I don't know, it might have been June, and we need to get the numbers up. So our head of uh, learning and development and myself kind of got a list and we thought, let's do a ring around. You know, that was right when the New South Wales wave was starting to go up again. And a lot of them, you know, we've got practices in regional Victoria. So they're going, well, I've got to get to the airport, you know, somehow park my car, get on flights, do accommodation. Uh, we do have a fee for the conference. Um, and so when they worked it all out, they're going, oh, look, you know, I'm going to spend two or three grand doing this and I'm going to have time out of the office and all that kind of stuff. Um, as it's played out, you know, we can't have, we're going to have it in Sydney. We can't have it in Sydney anyway. And there was the nervousness of COVID. So it was a mix of, COVID was probably the main one. They didn't want to get locked out of their state. They didn't want to come into New South Wales and not not be able to get back. Um, so I think that'll be different then next year. But but you know the the simplicity of being able to sit at your computer, not go anywhere, and I guess partake in a conference or or a virtual event, and, and maybe you know it's a lot cheaper. It'll be interesting how that plays out like we we're really keen to get people back face to face and there'd be an element that are all of the advisors that are really keen as well but those that might be a little bit more introverted and don't like those because there was no other option before um you know you had to turn up um to get that you know that training and that that experience but but now you know we do we do have that option so we're our conference um one of our kind of headline guys uh worked with um uh, worked with Steve Jobs' team um, and then was doing a lot of coaching for Google and ran Google's first hybrid event. He was encouraging Google to do their kind of con- internal conference uh, hybrid. They took quite a, to- a time to get around to that. He used to have to fly to different areas for Google, um, but he ran their first hybrid conference, you know, with 53,000 attendees. Um, anyway, so he's he's given us some really good tips for, for how to – and our Brisbane advisors are going to be very fortunate because he's going to turn up in person to Brisbane um, – um, and would obviously beamed beamed to different states, but but it makes it more expensive, Fraser. That that's the thing. Like there's still a cost to running these, and and virtual um, or, or a hybrid is a lot more expensive because you're not just sitting here on Zoom. You you need all the recording equipment and stuff like that at the physical conference. So there there is a it does become a bit more of an expensive conference. 
Yeah, it's interesting in the uh, the expense because you know the conferences, and I've I've, I've talked about conference expense for uh, for many years in the in the way that when we used to go to the the US conferences, there were a couple hundred bucks to go to, and you went along and you paid you a couple hundred bucks, but you spent a lot of time giving of all of your information and, and knowledge and those sorts of things, and your experiences, and you were receiving everybody else's back. Um, there was a bit of energy and hype around giving as well as receiving, not just receiving. And sometimes when you paid a few thousand dollars to go to a conference. You, you feel like you've already given and you, uh, you're now waiting to receive. But, um, but yeah, there is a lot of expense in conferences and, and, and there's a bit of a difference between, you know, a $200 online, yeah, I'll, I'll get the content and the CPD online for a couple hundred bucks versus, you know, spending two or three grand to get there in flights, accommodation and, uh, and rock up for a few days. Yeah, and I think people are. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff now around you know Zoom fatigue, and you, you can tell. I mean, I've got now into the habit of shutting everything else down when I've got a webinar because it, you, you can see uh, you know people eyes wandering over to the second screen. You know, we're we're very distracted in this environment as well. So um, you know that we're not learning as much as what we could if we were sitting in a conference room with our phone turned upside down. So I think we're a bit more distracted these days. Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned a couple of times. Um, with regards to the conference and the, uh, the uh, some of the pod stuff, the, the surveys and the ring arounds, uh, that's exactly how you present it or, or develop any content. You, you ring around and ask for feedback and, and then start delivering the, the say the, what what are the top issues and those sorts of things. Yeah, I think um, so. That that conference one was more we were drumming up numbers so trying to work mm. out you know what why they haven't registered so it wasn't wasn't kind of around the actual content for the conference itself but we have we did do a survey uh, when was it maybe maybe a year ago around we kind of had 11 areas and trying to gauge the pain points for practices and then we were looking at running a um, a series off that to to help practices. So, and this is actually an example of something that we tried, and it it didn't probably work the way I would have liked to. But to have the freedom to explore, you know, different opportunities. So, our practices kind of said process and efficiency, you know, slash technology is the number one pain point, and that was a standout. So by far, so out of the response, I think at least fifty percent said that was number one out of out of eleven, and then it kind of dropped down to be communicating. You know, value pricing was number two, client experience number three, and then business planning and performance uh, management was number four. Um, so we looked at, looked at then, you know, running uh, what I called some boot camps around that, some kind of 90 day, you know, exactly like a boot camp. Come in, we've got 90 days, you want to lose seven kilos. So, so come in, you want to enhance your client experience, and then you've got a very measurable result. So here you were day one, and day 91, um, this is where you were. We had mixed interest with that and I reflected. So um, we're still looking at kicking off that in some way, but not like I thought. Like we had four boot camps. We thought they'll all run at the same time with a view to building up this subject matter of boot camp um, so that you can, you know, like doing biceps for, for 90 days. Now we're going to do legs. So, you know, we could do that. But but the interest wasn't as high as I thought. Um, and then I've reflected, like practice, was, we're going to have to pay for that um, phrase. So, so Fortnum is very much a user pays model. So, so we we charge a flat fee for our our businesses, and then you know things like this, if they're really expensive, we need to say, well, how do we pay for this? And you know, I think like all things, if a practice pays or if a person pays, they're going to value it more as well than if it was a freebie. So, um, so we had a lot of our practices that are already going through coaching programs with a couple of businesses that we have relationships with anyway. So that kind of pushed them out um, because they weren't going to embark on something else. 
Um, as you can appreciate, or as anyone probably is in planning can appreciate at the moment, people are really busy. So, you know, in this virtual environment, um, this would have all been via webinar. And I think there's probably an element of it that they go, wow, okay, another thing on my plate um, that I have to do. Um, we talked earlier about um, the industry's getting a lot of new clients in at the moment. A lot of our practices are really, really busy. And then looking at how they uh, one of my practices said, um, you know, do we gear up assuming this busyness, or when I say busy, new clients coming in, new prospective clients, new business growing, um, do we assume that this is going to continue? Um, you know, at the moment, I think you have a lot of people uh, navigating what COVID means, you know, re-looking at life, where do I live, where's my money invested properly, what are my goals, um, element of those fall out into seeking a financial planner coupled with the the fact that we've lost a third of our financial planners. So, so we're naturally um, going to be busy. So um, I think a lot of them are just trying to keep their head above water, service their existing clients, um, you know, implement all this new legislation that's coming in, um, which we're often as a licensee, we're the ones passing that down through to them. Um, but then, you know, looking after these new clients, you, you don't want someone to have a really shitty experience as their first contact with you. So there's that pressure of, um, you know, delivering advice uh, at, in a timely fashion as well. So I think one thing I'd, I'd, we haven't touched on, I find fascinating um, from running a planning practice to then being in a licensee. It's it's really interesting. So all being in the leadership team discussions and advice and where we're going and then, you know, planning practices and there's still a little probably in the industry around you know, oh, the, the licensee's doing this or the licensee's, or, or you're doing it for yourselves, you're not doing it for us. And, and I look at it and I certainly, you know, at our licensee, um, and this is not an advertisement, but I, I would talk openly like I have some things work, some th things don't work, but it's it's our aim to protect that license. So it, it's as much as I've got a job at Fordham, I, I need that license to stay intact. If it's not, I don't have a job and I value my reputation too. So Fortnum's reputation gets stuffed up. That's going to reflect on, that's on my resume. Um, but then for our practices, they're operating under that same license. So it, everything that should be done at licensee level is to make life easier um, for that practice. And that's an ongoing challenge, Fraser. Like um, one thing we're finding is a bit of a proposition, you know, it, it still is, but it used to be very much, you know, freedom within a framework. And that appealed to a lot of practices going, great, we can have our own unique way as long as we stay within those lines. You know, we, we, we don't, we're agnostic to product platforms, all that kind of stuff. What we found in probably the last six months and with all this change coming down, more practices going, hey, we we need a bit more framework. Like we we we're happy to give up a little bit of our uniqueness to get more guidance and and more some of the projects we're working on internally now, looking at kind of recommended practice and workflows and things. So they're like we we don't want to miss something. We we enjoy the the freedom, um, but you know now we're happy to give up some freedom to make sure we don't get it wrong um which feels like a change like only in the last kind of six months i can definitely i can definitely see or feel that change as well there's definitely that uh because of all of the, the well the speed of the change but also um you know that the, the little bit of fear maybe a little bit of you know worry about and just give us give us those more narrow guardrails and um, give us, I guess you, you mentioned it when you talked about the boot camps, the number one reason was around that, you know, people that after process or just show, mm -hmm. show us how to do it 
in a way that's nice and compliant and simple uh, and we'll just adopt that rather than try and reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. So, yeah. So, that's something that'll that'll just continue to evolve, I think. Yeah. Fantastic. I think that's probably not just uh, your licensee. I think that's probably across the board. Across the board. Yeah. Agree. Hey, Rob, thanks for com- catching up today. Really appreciate you giving up your time and, and having a chat to us and, and sharing all of your wealth of knowledge. I really appreciate it. I've just uh, realized we've been talking for nearly an hour, so we probably should leave it there. Uh, thank you so much. If somebody wants to get hold of you and continue the conversation, probably what's the, what's the best way they can find you? I reckon they'd find me on LinkedIn. It's probably the, the easiest way, I think. Um, yeah, that'd be the easiest way. If they want to reach out for anything, happy to help. Fantastic. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. You're a legend. Thank you. Thank you.